Let us pray. Father, we give you great thanks that Jesus is indeed our great and good shepherd, the king of love. And you give us life through him. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts now please be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I hope it's been muggy enough outside for all of you this week. Um, Given Tammy Tammy lots of um, laundry with working outside this week with all the heat, but it's so good to have all of you here, and thanks be to God for air conditioning. So continue today in our study of the book of Ephesians. I'd invite you today to turn to chapter 3 in your Bibles or on your devices with Scripture in them. Focusing on verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. The primary focus of Ephesians chapter 3 is prayer. However, in verses 1 through 13 that we are looking at today and again next Sunday, Paul begins with an important digression in order to bring some clarity to the Ephesians regarding his circumstances. Paul brings clarity about the fact that he is indeed imprisoned. And as we've read, even in previous weeks, this was a source of great discouragement for the Ephesian church. And then secondly, he expounds further on the mystery of the gospel, which is now fully revealed to all people through Jesus Christ. Again, Paul begins by elaborating on and clarifying his circumstances at the writing of this letter. Because the Ephesians were discouraged and he writes to encourage them and to build them up in the faith. Knowing their discouragement, Paul assures them that despite him being in chains, he remains fully in God's will, even under this difficult circumstance. And Paul reminds the Ephesian believers of two facts. First, he reminds them that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And second, that his imprisonment, his being in chains is on behalf of and for the Gentiles because of his God-ordained call to bring them the gospel. That Paul is in chains because he is being obedient to God's will. Now in a culture where Paul's circumstances could have been regarded by some as shameful, and we don't fully grasp that because we live in what is called by sociologists a guilt-based culture, Middle Eastern culture, many African cultures are shame-based, and there's a different approach to some of these kind of things. But it could be considered shameful. So Paul emphasizes these things, that he is in chains, that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and that he is a prisoner to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He emphasizes this to demonstrate that his imprisonment is actually something honorable because he is imprisoned specifically because of fidelity to Christ and Christ's gospel. And Paul's imprisonment at this time, because of this fidelity, especially relates to the Gentiles being fully incorporated into God's family through Christ's. What had led to this, specifically Paul being in change, was the fact that he had brought Gentiles beyond the temple balustrade or barrier that we talked about last week in the temple in Jerusalem, the barrier that separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner courts where only Jews were allowed to go, that he had brought Gentiles into the inner courts, 
We read about this in Acts chapter 21. I'm going to turn there and read just briefly to you. Acts 21, and I'll begin with verse 27, but later today, if you want to look back up to verse 17, you get even more detail. Acts 21. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. So we see why Paul was imprisoned. But then Paul in verse 2 raises this very interesting point for our reflection, where he says, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul understood that his call as the apostle to the Gentiles was a sacred trust given to him by God. And he understood that he was accountable to God for how he stewarded this trust. I have no doubt that Paul asked himself at times, was he being faithful with that which God had entrusted to him? Paul showed great concerns in his writing for faithful stewardship to this trust. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, we read, For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boast, for I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still trusted, entrusted with a stewardship. Then backing up in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, St. Paul continues by writing, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And then continuing in Colossians chapter 1, the 24th verse. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul had a unique stewardship entrusted to him with his call to be the apostle to the Gentiles. However, hear me, Paul is not unique in being being entrusted with a call from God. Every single one of us who knows Christ has been given a sacred trust by God. A sacred trust to live out the reality of the truth of the gospel 
and beyond that, a sacred trust because God indeed places unique and specific gifts and callings upon every single one of us who name the name of Christ. And he's also placed a unique and specific calling upon this church, upon All Saints Church. And the question which we must ponder is this. Are we being faithful stewards of that which God has entrusted to us as individuals, as families, as a church family? Are we being faithful stewards of the grace that God has entrusted to us? What has God entrusted to you, calling you to be a faithful steward of that trust? What is it for you? What things? And I'm not so much talking about material things here, although that matters too. But in our culture, in the church culture we live in, when we hear the word stewardship, so often our minds immediately go to money and to finances. But that's not really what I'm talking about. And the reality is financial stewardship grows out of being a faithful steward of all that God has entrusted us. It grows out of being a faithful steward of the grace of God that has been given to us. But what other kinds of things has God called us to be faithful stewards of? Our time, our talents, the gifts, the skills, the aptitudes he's given you and me. God calls us right where he's placed us by his grace to be faithful stewards of those things. As I prepared this sermon, one of the things that God really put on my heart that I want to say here is, is something to our youth and to our young adults. So guys, hear me, and, and parents, hear me as well. You've got, God willing, your whole life, most of your life ahead of you. And God has placed beautiful gifts by his grace in your life. And you need to ask what is God calling you to do with your life, guys and girls? I don't mean that in some sexist way. What is God calling you to do with your life? Yes, he may be calling you to be a successful business person, a teacher, be it to be in law enforcement, public service, to work in a trade. I'm not going to box you in with that. But don't just presume that. And don't just assume that as you move forward to making educational choices. Because God may just, and I believe God is, calling some of you to full-time vocational Christian service. Whether that be as a missionary, a Christian worker, as a deacon, as a priest, whatever it might be. If you have questions about that, if you want to discern and explore, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Father Jed. Let us know. We will be glad to meet with you. And we're not going to put you in some tunnel where you're locked in. But we want to walk with you and help you to hear the voice of God and what God is calling you to. And I want to encourage parents as your kids move forward, as they make educational choices, as they consider college, to make sure this is on the table. What is God calling you to? What is the sacred trust that God is calling you to? And your kids to steward moving forward. And if you're sitting here thinking, oh, that couldn't be me. I don't have the goods for that or I don't have the skills or I'd never be good enough. 
you're in just the right place. Because as soon as we, beginning right here, beginning right here with me, as soon as we start to think that we can do it or we can accomplish it or that we've got what God needs, we're in a really bad place. But if we're at that place where God is speaking to us and where God is saying, I'm calling you, then you will discover at that time that God gives graces that you can't imagine to step into and live out his will according to his purposes. And he empowers us as we seek him to become faithful stewards of that trust he's placed in our lives. What has God entrusted to you calling you to be a faithful steward of that trust? Paul's example here is also very contra the ideas both overt and subtle of the prosperity gospel that we encounter in this country because Paul's imprisonment is very much God's will and what would be perceived as a bad and a negative thing and a difficult thing is very much at the heart of God's will for Paul. And this has been the story of countless Christians down through the centuries that because of their fidelity to the gospel, because they were faithful stewards, they encountered adversity and difficulty, and this was the heart of God's will for them. I use a website called Preaching Today, which I subscribe to, which helps with sermon illustrations and that sort of thing. And one of the other things that Preaching Today provides is sermon outlines and sermons, which full confession I never use, so you're not getting a regurgitated Preaching Today sermon from Father Scott ever. But it's a wonderful website. It's operated by Christianity Today. And as I was looking at this sermon, I typed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Illustrations came up and some sermon outlines came up. But one of the sermon outlines I glanced at was from Pastor John Piper, who's a pastor up in the upper Midwest, talking about persecution and adversity and Paul's example of being in chains. And two of his points that I just want to mention are this. God makes persecution serve the Great Commission. Persecution has always grown the church of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, trouble for the sake of truth brings honor. Maybe not with human beings, but it brings honor with God and in Christ's kingdom. Paul's circumstances were God's will because he was being a faithful steward of the grace entrusted to him. Now, after clarifying that his circumstances were all part of God's will, Paul then goes on in verses three through six to expound on the mystery of the gospel now fully revealed. Look at verses three through six with me. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There are three points briefly in this regard that we need to explore. First is God's revelation to St. Paul in verse 3. Remember, Paul, as Saul, before his conversion, had been an enemy of the gospel. 
God directly revealed to him the fullness of the truth of the gospel and called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles when he was on the road to Damascus, as we know about from Acts chapter 9. Many of us are familiar with that. And in that moment on the road to Damascus, Paul directly encountered the risen Lord and became an apostle. As he says in 1 Corinthians 15, one untimely born, the apostle untimely born. And this, to say the least, was a profound transformative moment for Paul. It's a gross understatement to say that because you have to remember, we've lost sight of some of this again because we're removed by 2,000 years, but Paul was basically a terrorist. He would go into communities. He would identify who were believers in Christ. He would have them rounded up, imprisoned, tortured, and executed. If you look at the accounts shortly after his conversion, as, as word came to the churches that Saul had been converted, they were understandably pretty skeptical. And some of them were concerned that this was just another ploy to find out and kind of out the true believers in the community so that he could then imprison and have them executed. That Paul this persecutor of Christians, Paul, this person who engaged in terrorism, basically, was called to come to know Christ, but not only to know Christ, but to be the apostle to the Gentiles, attests to the power of God's grace to transform someone's life. This theme we hear time and time again as we're looking at the book of Ephesians. If Paul can be transformed by the grace of God. It reminds you and me that there's nobody that's beyond the grasp of God's grace and transforming power. Nobody. Nobody. Also, Paul, being a highly educated Jew, understood here as he writes about the mysteries of God that were revealed to prophets by the Spirit of God. And because of this, Paul indicates that he has full assurance that the reality of the Gentiles being full and equal participants with Israel in the Holy Covenant of Promise had been shown to him by God, the Holy Spirit. Paul knew this was true because God has shown it to him. He writes in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have Paul's or God's revelation to St. Paul. And then secondly, we have God's revelation now revealed to all verses four through five, because this mystery of God's revelation is not only revealed to Paul, but it is now revealed to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. To be clear, when we talk about the revelation of this mystery, as Paul uses the word, we're not talking about something innovative. We're not talking about something lacking in continuity with scripture and God's dealing with people and with humanity in the past. And we're not talking about some kind of secret knowledge or insight revealed to a few select individuals. That's what the Gnostics in the early centuries taught. And that was a heresy that hurt the church. What we're talking about here with the gospel being revealed not only to Jews, but to the Gentiles is in full continuity with God's plan and God's will. 
This had been promised by the Old Testament prophets. God had declared it beforehand to Abraham. As a matter of fact, Paul in Galatians 3 emphasizes this fact where he writes, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That God would bless the Gentiles was not new, even if some people had missed what God was saying. This should have been foreseen. But what had not been foreseen was that God bringing the Gentiles into his fold through Christ would as New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce writes, involved the obliteration of the old line of demarcation which separated them, the Gentiles, from Jews and the incorporation of Gentile believers together with Jewish believers without discrimination in the new comprehensive community of God's chosen people. So what they hadn't seen was that this delineation hierarchy between Jew and Gentile was going to be obliterated through the cross of Christ. And again, that brings back to us one of these themes that we hear coming up repeatedly in the book of Ephesians. And it's this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All people, regardless of race and ethnicity and background and history, all may come to Christ, to his cross. All may experience the transforming grace of God. This gospel was made known to God's holy people, first the Jews and then God's holy people, including the Gentiles, because they were recipients of God's revelation. And it is made known to all the peoples of the earth in worldwide preaching of the gospel as we make known God's revelation of salvation through Jesus Christ. As Paul also mentions here, it was made known to the apostles and prophets because they were ministers who communicated God's truth to the church. But again, here, it was not some secret knowledge, but as New Testament scholar Gordon Fee says, here in Ephesians, revelation does not refer to a specific visionary or revelatory experience as such, but to the revelation by the Spirit that comes to the believing community, in other words, to the whole church, and especially its apostles and prophets, having to do with the overall nature of the gospel. God's revelation is now in the resurrected Jesus revealed to all people. And then finally, God's revelation is not only revealed to, but God's revelation embraces all. Look at verse six with me. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ. And that brings us back to this theme again, to the common ground we all find, we all find at the foot of the cross. That through Christ, we all may share in the inheritance of God's salvation that we all may experience adoption as his sons and daughters, heirs of the promise, that we all may know and walk in intimate fellowship with God. 
and that we all have through Christ, through faith in him, the same Holy Spirit of God of dwelling within us. And we each, every single one of us, are entrusted by God as his messengers to proclaim the gospel in word and deed wherever God has placed us and wherever he takes us. And then finally, every single one of us and this church, we are called to be trustworthy, faithful stewards of this good grace which God has placed in our lives through Jesus Christ. We are called to be faithful stewards of the trust which God has given us above everything else in life. To be faithful stewards so that in that day when we stand before the Lord, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are for your grace and transforming power revealed to all the world through Jesus Christ. And that you are no respecter of persons, but that you call and invite all who would come to know your life, to know your transforming power, to be set free, to live in and for Christ. Even at adversity, even in difficulties, you are with us. And Father, we ask, Father, I pray that you would make us obedient and faithful stewards to the good deposit of grace which you have given us. That with our lives, Father, every area, every facet, that we would be surrendered to you and that indeed we would be faithful stewards of that trust which you have given us. So Lord, give us your grace. Give us your strength. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.